As you may have heard a couple weeks ago, we announced that uh, we're in the process of putting in some additional parking, and so I just want to say thank you for your patience in trying to find a spot. You guys are here first service, so it's a little easier. The ones coming in after you, it's a little harder, but um, some of you are parking in the field. Um, that will hopefully no longer be available after this weekend. Um, so we just ask for your patience with our parking team as they try to find you spots, and we just want to thank you in advance for uh, your willingness to do so. Well, it was my junior year in college, I was home for spring break, and I wasn't necessarily looking for a car, but a friend of my, of my dad's had a small cargo dealership, and he said, hey, I've got some vehicles you might want to come down and take a look at. So I went down, took a look at a few of them, found one that I could actually afford, and uh, sunk the rest of my savings into what was the first car that I was actually going to be able to claim as my own, a gray Ford Escort, you know. Nothing really to brag about, um, but it was my first car, and I was so excited. I was a junior in college, and I was paying for the insurance and paying for the gas, and I paid for my first car, and I was looking forward to going back to college. Christine and I were dating at the time, and, and so I was excited to be able to take her out on dates instead of borrow cars from my buddies, and, and um, life could not have been any better until my dad came in and informed me that he and my mom had decided that I couldn't take the car back to college until the beginning of my senior year. Um, yeah, that's how I felt. <laughs> Time's about 100. <laughs> um, I was devastated. I was devastated. It was one of those few occasions in my early years that I remember being angry. And I imagine that in the process of this conversation with my dad, um, he probably said something like, son, one day you'll understand. Well, this kind of falls in those categories of decisions that parents make that have no logic and no rationale, and sorry, Dad, I still don't understand. I still don't understand. Um, but I was living under his roof. Uh, he was paying for things that I needed to live, and so I really didn't have a choice. If I was going to live there, I had to follow his rules and accept the authority that he had over me at that season in my life. And maybe you found yourself in a similar situation where you went to someone in charge and you asked for permission for something and they turned you down. You pleaded with the teacher to take a test early because you wanted to go do something with your friends or your family. And they said, no, this is the only time you can take it. You asked your boss, can we extend, can we change the deadline? Can we extend the deadline? If I have to do it on this deadline, I'm going to have to sacrifice some of these things in my own family life. And the boss says, no. You go to the local township, borough officials, you want a variance on something you want to do on your property, and you've seen it approved on others, and they stamp denied. You make an appeal on a fine for a speeding ticket, and you stand before the judge, and, you say, and they say, no, it's going to stay the same. Maybe you cry out to God when he feels silent, and he's nowhere around, and you wonder, where are you, and what are you doing? And there's no word from heaven, all because someone else is in charge. For me, accepting that someone else is in charge and the answer they give me might not be one that I want is probably, for me, one of the most difficult realities that I find myself having to face. And I've watched people struggle with accepting decisions that I have made in leadership or others have made with authorities around them. So I know this is a common struggle for many of us. Why is it so hard? Why is it difficult at times to accept the decisions and the authority of others? Well, this morning we're going to explore that struggle as we look, as we continue our series entitled Thriving in Babylon, as we continue to follow along the life of this guy named David, excuse me, Daniel, 
who was deported a thousand miles from his home to another country. Um, he was stripped of his culture, his name, his heritage, his community, even tried to strip him of his faith. But somehow, in the midst of all of those, in all of that conflict and difficulty, he and his buddies were able to face these challenges in an amazing way. Last week, Tim uh, did a great job helping us look at the, his three friends and how they were put in a compromising situation, but they, choose to, they, choose to, they chose to follow God and not abandon their faith. But he explained that that wasn't a decision they made in the moment. That was based on decisions they had made before. And so no matter where you are on your faith journey, if faith is something that's been a part of your life for a long time, or if you're trying to make your way back to God, or if you're trying to explore God, I think this issue of authority affects all of us. Even if you own your own business, someone can tell you no, and you have to decide what you're going to do about that. Every person alive has to wrestle with the authority that exists, and all of us have to with the authority of the one who created us, and that's God himself. If you have a Bible, if you would turn to Daniel chapter 4, there's a Bible in your seat in front of you, you can grab that one and follow along, or you can follow along on your um, uh, phone or other wireless device. If you grab the Bible in your seat, we're on page 722, page 722. And as you're turning there, we've been following along with Daniel and this king whose name is Nebuchadnezzar. And Nebuchadnezzar had been confronted by the God of Daniel, the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He'd been confronted by this God. And at the end of chapter 2 and the end of chapter 3, you find him in the midst of this tumultuous situation, eventually coming to say, Daniel, your God's a pretty good God. And he's a pretty powerful God, and, and I, we should probably give some attention to what he has to say. And so that's why chapter 4 begins in a very unusual way. Because instead of a conflict or a tension being surfaced, the chapter begins with Daniel praising and celebrating God. Um, a proclamation, if you will, to his entire kingdom. And Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom was vast. It was vast. If you look at this picture, I don't know how well you can see the, the names that are in white. The orange shows you the vastness of Nebuchadnezzar's empire. It covered parts of Egypt, Israel, Jordan, Syria, into Turkey, Iraq, and into Iran. That's how big his kingdom was. This was a powerful, powerful man. And if you look in chapter 4, verse 1, he says, King Nebuchadnezzar, to the nations and people of every language who live in all the earth, may you prosper greatly. It is my pleasure to tell you about the miraculous signs and wonders that the Most High God has performed. You think, this guy seems to be a God follower. How great are his signs, how mighty his wonders, his kingdom is an eternal kingdom. His dominion endures from generation to generation. It sounds like he's someone who follows the God that Daniel follows. But then he goes on to tell us a story. And the story has Nebuchadnezzar at an unusual place. He's kind of at a place of contentedness. At a good place, says in chapter or verse 4, he says he was at home content and prosperous. Usually a king who's expanding his kingdom, his mind is what's the next territory I'm going to conquer? You know, imagine you're playing the game of risk. You're not sitting there, oh, I'm glad I have these four or five, six territories. You know, what, do I, what else can I conquer, you know? And he was content and prosperous. A very unusual place to be for a guy who ruled the biggest kingdom in the known world at that time. But that's where he was. And then it says, I had a dream, 
that made him afraid. What do we call a dream that makes us afraid? What do we call it? Nightmare, right? So he had a nightmare. He had a nightmare. As I was lying on the bed, these images and visions that passed through my mind, they did what? They terrified. They terrified him. I don't know if it was the movie he watched the night before or it was the spicy food that they had spiced up for him. I don't know what it was, but something had freaked him out. He goes on in the next couple verses to tell us what this dream was all about. Um, but before he tells the dream, he commanded all the wise men to be brought before him to interpret the dream for him. Now, this is the change from what he did a couple weeks ago, if you were here with us, in chapter 2. In that story, he brought the wise men in and he said, tell me what the dream is and then interpret. He doesn't ask them to do that this time. He says, just tell me what this means. Tell me what this means. In the ancient world, as well as in many parts of our world, not our world where we live in Western civilization, but in many parts of the known world, in the ancient world, dreams were a way that God communicated to you. Dreams were a way that God gave you direction, God gave you caution, God gave you guidance. And there's examples of that all throughout the Bible. In just a couple of weeks, we're going to be into our Christmas season, and, and there's a story in the Christmas season about God telling Joseph what to do in what? A dream, right? A dream. And so it's clear that this is how God communicated to them. And he knew he had this dream. It scared the daylights out of him, but he didn't know what it was all about. So the magicians, astrologers, and diviners came. I told them the dream, but they were stumped. They did not know what to do with the dream. So in verse 9, or verse 8, finally Daniel came into my presence. Now, I don't know what Daniel was doing. I don't know if he was off, you know, shooting the breeze with his buddies, but he was one of that group of guys that we just saw. He's the top dog of that group of guys, but he wasn't around. And so he shows up on the scene, and I told him the dream. And notice what, how Nebuchadnezzar describes Daniel. He is called Belteshazzar after the name of my God, and the spirit of the holy gods is in him. So why'd you highlight that, John? Well, remember that Daniel had been given a new name. They'd taken his name, his Jewish name from him, his Hebrew name, and they gave him this new name. His new name was Belteshazzar, which Baal means Baal, and so he's the god, he's the god of, of Nebuchadnezzar. And so Nebuchadnezzar recognized this old name, the new name that he had given him, but he also recognized that there's some holy, there's something from God on this guy. There's something powerful, there's something supernatural about this guy, David. You know, and the truth is, when you find yourself in a culture, in a job, in a family that opposes God, that doesn't care about God, doesn't want anything to do with God, and you don't try to force God on them, but you live as someone who follows God, people will recognize that. And that's what happened with Daniel here in Nebuchadnezzar. Even though he still called him his Babylonian name, he recognized that the Spirit of God was on him. He said, John, how do I do that? How do I do that? You do that by loving and caring for people, by showing them the love that God has shown you. And when you love and care for people, when people are in a difficult time, when they're in a tough place and they don't know where to turn, they're going to turn to the person that even that cares about them, even if they don't agree at all with what you believe. You see, we kind of have this mistaken idea in the Christian community that, you know, I have, to, I have to make sure that other people know what I believe and I have to wear it, you know, as a badge of honor. I have to force it on them and to correct all their wrongs. And I don't see that anywhere in the Bible. 
Jesus did that with people that were religious and arrogant. That's who Jesus did it with, not people who didn't follow God, not people who didn't follow God. And so I would say if people know you as the Jesus person, that's a good thing. And if people know, yeah, they pray for you. If you ask them, they'll pray for you. And you know, sometimes stuff happens when they pray. That's a good thing. That's a good thing. And that's what Daniel did. He lived out his faith without forcing it on people, without trying to change people. He lived out his faith, and it was recognized by the king of the land. I said, Belteshazzar, chief of the musicians, I know that the spirit of the holy gods is on you. He said, I know there's something different about you. And no mystery is too difficult. Here's my dream. Can you interpret it for me? And so what he then goes to do is he goes on to tell him the dream. He said, these are the visions I saw. This is what the dream was. I looked, there was a tree. Its height was enormous, as large and strong as visible to the ends of the earth. It was, leaves were beautiful. Its fruit was abundant. There was food for all under it. The wild animals found shelter, and the birds lived in its branches. From it, every creature was fed. Kind of reminded me of Jack and the Beanstalk a little, you know. It's a huge tree, you know, huge plant going up to the heavens. But that's kind of what he described, this massive tree, incredibly beautiful, strong. Everyone could see it. It provided shelter. It provided food. It, it took care of everyone. It was an amazing, amazing, amazing tree. The dream continues. In the visions I saw, I was laying there in bed, and then there was a holy one, a messenger, came down from heaven, and this was his message. Cut down the tree, trim off its branches, strip off its leaves, scatter its fruit, let the animals flee from under it and the birds from its branches, but let the stump and its roots bound with iron and bronze remain the ground in the grass of the field. So there's this tree that provides and takes care of everyone, and suddenly the tree is gone. It's gone. He goes on to say, Let him be drenched with the dew of the heaven, and let him live with the animals among the plants of the earth. Let his mind be changed from that of a man, and let him be given the mind of an animal till seven times pass by for him. Who is him? Who is him? We're talking about a tree, and now we're talking about a him. And we don't know who the him is. We don't know what the tree's all about. But this was the message. This was the dream that Nebuchadnezzar saw. Verse 17, the decision is announced by the messengers. The holy ones declare the verdict so that the living may know what? That the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms and gives them to anyone he wishes and sets over them the lowliest of people. That's a pretty important verse. This is the message that God gave to a pagan king. He said, I want you to know that there's someone in charge and someone more powerful than you that's in charge over everyone and everything, and he controls it all. He controls it all. Well, Daniel, as he hears this dream, um, he is not too sure about that. But what God wants Daniel to recognize and King Nebuchadnezzar to recognize is that God is in charge of everything. That God is in charge of everything. And so Daniel, it says, he was greatly perplexed, and his thoughts terrified him. He was greatly perplexed, and his thoughts terrified him. And the king wasn't quite sure about this, but Daniel knew he had some news to bring to this king. It's kind of like if um, 
your boss says, hey, I've got this problem and I can't figure out where this money's going. Something's, we're leaking money and I can't figure it out. Can you look over these books and figure it out? And you look over the books and you figure it out and you have to go tell the boss bad news. Anybody been in that situation where you have to tell the boss bad news? That's a frightening thing. That's a terrifying thing. When you have to tell someone who's an authority over you bad news. And that's what Daniel was in. He had to tell this guy some really, really, really bad news. And the king saw that he was troubled. I don't know how he knew that he was troubled. I don't know if he saw him wringing his hands. I don't know if he saw him just kind of rubbing his forehead. I don't know if he saw his face. You know, if he was shocked like this when he heard the dream. We don't know exactly why, but something communicated that there was a problem that was taking place. And the king said, Excuse me, Daniel said, my Lord, if only the dream applied to your enemies and not to your, and to your adversaries. He said, oh, king, king, I wish this was about everybody else who didn't want anything, who wanted to kill you and harm you. He goes on to explain, the tree you saw, which grew large and strong with its top touching the sky, visible the whole earth, beautiful leaves, abundant fruit, food, shelter, nesting places, you, your majesty, you are that tree. You are that tree. You are the one that provides shelter. You are the one that, prov- that is visible to the whole earth. You're the one that provides food. You're the one that provides safety and security. You are that tree. And imagine it in that moment in time, Nebuchadnezzar probably felt an overwhelming sense of, of joy and maybe some pride. Pride. Anytime someone says something that you're good at or something they're grateful about you, it kind of brings that out in us because we long to have this sense of value and importance. We long to have that. There's this exercise that we do often in our small groups and in a lot of other settings when, when something comes to an end. We call it ending well. And everybody who's a part of that experience um, has to write a couple of things that you value about the people that are either leaving your group or that, or that this is finishing. And we did this at the end of the summer with one of our staff that worked with us for the summer, and we did an exercise of ending well just to celebrate that. And so there was a part of this that doesn't seem bad because he's being acknowledged for all the good things that he did. You've become great and strong. Your greatness has grown until it reaches the sky, and your dominion extends to the parts of the earth, to many parts of the earth. That's the good news. That's the good news. Now the bad news. Now the bad news. This is the interpretation, your majesty, and this is the decree the Most High has issued against my king. You will be driven from the people and live with wild animals. You will eat grass like an ox and be drenched with the dew of heaven. Seven times will pass by for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over all the kingdoms of the earth. Who is the him? The him is the king. The him is the king. The king of the most powerful nation. The king who provides for everyone. He's going to be driven out. He's going to be pushed aside. And what does it say? He's not just going to have his life come to an end. That's what usually would happen. If you were the king and someone conquered your kingdom, you usually didn't retire to an island in the Mediterranean. That's usually not how it worked, you know. You were usually killed. Life came to an end. But that's not what happens. 
Look what's going to happen. You're going to live with the animals. You're going to eat grass. You're going to be drenched with the dew. Now, that's kind of going back to nature beyond what most of you are even comfortable with. They like nature, like the outdoors. You're just going to live like an animal with the animals. And then he says, for seven times. We don't know if that's seven days, seven weeks, seven months, seven seasons, seven years. We have no idea how long this was. No idea. All we know is that he's going to be driven out of his kingdom in a horrific way. But then God offers a glimmer of hope. The command to leave the stump. Remember the stump was left? The stump didn't go. They didn't grind the stump out. Means that your kingdom will be restored to you when you do what? Acknowledge that heaven rules. When you acknowledge that heaven rules. He said you will gain back what you've lost if you admit that God is in charge of everything. If you admit that God is in charge of everything. And so Daniel says this to the king in verse 27, renounce your sins, do what's right, and your wickedness by being kind to the oppressed, it may be then your prosperity will continue. Daniel extends to the king a measure of grace, a measure of grace. And this really is a picture of how God deals with us. God always says, if you walk away from your choices and decisions right now, if you walk away from that, And if you change the way that you're living, there's hope. There's hope. God always gives us a chance. And sometimes God gives us them over and over and over again. God says, walk away. Walk away from it. And change the way you're living. And there might be a measure of hope. It's how God deals with us. It's how we should deal with our kids as parents. Tell them what they're doing wrong. Invite them to do something different. And tell them that this is their chance to change. It's how we should deal with employees in difficult situations. Um, Because God is full of compassion, full of mercy, full of grace. So what does it look like to admit that God is in charge? What does it look like to admit that God is in charge? Uh, Peter writes about this when he says this. He says, all of you close yourself with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud and shows favor to the humble. He then says, humble yourselves under God's mighty hand and he may lift you back up. God says, if you don't humble yourself, God will do it. But God always gives us a chance and says, you have a chance to humble yourself. You have a chance to humble yourself. I said, what does humbling yourself look like? We're going to talk about that in just a minute. But don't lose sight of the fact that God invites you to humble yourself. So what did the king do? What did the king do? The king got this drastic message. He said, you're going to lose everything. You're going to be thrown out in the woods for uh, who knows how long to live off the land, literally like a wild animal. But you got a second chance. If you turn away from all this stuff, you have a second chance. So what will the king do? What will the king do? The king did nothing for 12 months. Didn't do a single thing. Say, how could he not do that? How could he not do that? Well, before you're 
too critical on the king. Um, how many of you have had a mechanic tell you, you really should do this thing on your car, and you're like, ah, it's too much money, I'm not going to do that. I won't ask you to raise your hands, you know. Mechanics are all grinning, they've heard that a number of times. How many of you have had the doctor say, you know, you really should get this looked at, and you're like, ah, it'll be fine, and you let it go. Don't, don't raise your hands, but how many of you, right, right? How many of you had a teacher say, if you don't pay attention to this grade, you're not going to pass? How many of you had that happen? How many of you had a small group leader or pastor or friend say, you know, you really need to pay attention to this issue with your spouse, or it's going to cause a problem? Or you need to look into this thing that's happening with your kid, or it's not going to go well. And we just ignore it. We blow it off. You know, we look at this king and we say, how foolish could you do? How foolish could you be? You were just warned by God and you were given a second chance and you walked away from it. But how often do we do the exact same things? How often do you hear something here? How often do you sit in a small group or do you open your Bible and you sit with God in the morning and God's Spirit penetrates your heart and your mind and, you, and He says, that is something that needs to change. And we walk away from it. That is not a humble heart. That is a proud, arrogant heart that says, I know what is best. And that's what this king did. And that's what we do. I don't know if he thought, I don't know where Daniel came up with that dream, but let's see what happens. Let's see what happens. So the king is out walking on his roof on the palace of Babylon, and he says this. He's looking, and you know, I don't know if you remember the, from your history, a little bit from history, but Babylon was the hanging gardens of Babylon, one of the seven wonders of the world that he created for one of his wives. This was the most majestic. The size of the city was mammoth, mammoth. We can't even wrap our brains. We have nothing in modern day and our modern civilization to compare to this. Nothing. And so he's admiring it all. He says, isn't this the great Babylon I have built as a royal residence by my power and for the glory of my majesty? The words were not completely out of his mouth. It says they were on his lips when a voice came from heaven. This is what is decreed from you, Nebuchadnezzar. Your authority is taken. You will be driven from people. You will live with animals. You will eat grass. Seven times will pass until you acknowledge what? That the Most High is sovereign over all the kingdoms. So you admit what? That God is large and in charge. Until you admit it, you're out of here. You're out of here. And that's exactly what happened in verse 33. Immediately what had been said about Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled. He was driven away from the people. We don't really know how. Some have suggested that he lost his mind. He became insane um, or delusional. He ate grass like the ox. His body was drenched with dew and his hair grew out like the feathers of an eagle and his nails like the claws of a bird. Imagine what that was like. It's pretty horrific looking, isn't it? Pretty horrific. For seven seasons, 
whatever that time, for seven times, whatever that was, this was where God left him. This was where God left him. Verse 34, at the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes towards heaven, and my sanity was restored. Then I praised the Most High. I honored and glorified Him who lives forever. His dominion is an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the peoples are regarded, the earth is nothing. He does, speaking of God, as He pleases with the powers of heaven and the people of the earth. No one can hold back His hand or say to Him, what have you done? And at that moment in time, his sanity was restored, his honor and splendor were returned to him, and he became even greater than before. Remember that verse in 1 Peter? Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, and he will do what? He will lift you up. That's exactly what happened. Exactly what happened. Look at how he closes Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the King of heaven because everything he does is right and all his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, God will humble. Those who walk in pride, God will humble. If you are arrogant and proud regarding your parents' input in your life, God will humble you. If you're arrogant with a boss, God will humble you. If if you disregard godly counsel in your life, God will humble you. If you have a godly counselor confronting things in your life that need to change and you turn a deaf ear, God will humble you. If you ignore advice about your finances, God will humble you humble you. And if you do not acknowledge God in any part of your life and pride creeps in, God will humble you. I don't know how he will do that. I don't know what that will look like. And I don't want that to happen to a single person who's here. But the truth I know is that the most powerful man in the known world was warned, was cautioned, was given a second chance, and his pride took him down because God humbled him. And he will do the same to us. What does it look like to admit that God's in charge and to humble ourselves? What does that look like? What does that mean, practically speaking? Well, here's a couple suggestions for you to consider. Um, this morning. Number one is admit God is completely in charge of my life. Admit it. Say it. Say, God, I believe that you're in charge. Say, God, I'm turning over every part of my life. List those things that you currently have control over. You're like, I don't have control over anything. Well, you have control over you, just you. Say, God, I'm giving over me. You know, if you're, if you're a parent, I'm giving over my family. I'm giving over my spouse. My, my job, my career, my bank account, my future, my dreams. God, I'm giving my whole life, the whole thing to you. Acknowledge he's in charge of it. Acknowledge he's in charge of it. And then second, 
Humble yourself. And here's a couple suggestions. Number one is praising your creator. Um, Damien and the team did a great job leading us through that this morning. And I don't know what it looks like or what it takes for you just to say, God, you're amazing, and God, you're good, and God, I believe in you, and God, I'm going to follow you. But I don't know about you, but in my own life, when I do that throughout the week and I come sit here and I sing and I praise God, it, it feels like I have, I'm, just, I'm just giving back to Him. But, but there are some weeks I forget to do that or I get busy and I don't do that and I'm preoccupied and, just, and, and I come and I don't have anything to give and I'm like an empty tank and I'm like, I need something to fill me up. And there are weeks we need that. Maybe that's what this last week was like for you. Um, but I hope that you can find a way every day. And I don't know what does that for you. I don't know if it's music. I don't know if it's reading something in the Bible. I don't know if it's a conversation with someone. I don't know if it's something that you watch on our right now media that we just provided for everybody. But find a way to do this often. Because that deals with the pride and the arrogance of our own hearts. And then second of all, daily gratitude for all that you have. Daily gratitude for all that you have. Have you thought about all the things that God has given to you and just said thank you for them? We talk about this often this time of year around Thanksgiving. Have you thought about the place that you live? Have you thought about the vehicles you drive? Have you thought about the clothes that you wear? Have you thought about the food on your table? Have you thought about a warm place, especially last night and the night before, the heat that you have? You know? I mean, if you just sat for five or ten minutes and made a list of all the things that God has given to you, that He's given to you, I say, John, how do I humble myself? I think these are some steps in that direction. These are some steps towards that. To admit that God's in charge of everything, even when it's not going the way you want it, even when it's not working out the way you want it. Say, God, I know you're in charge of this. Find a way to praise him every day and find a way to thank him every day for all the things that he's done. just a moment, we're going to go to prayer, and I'm just going to give you about two minutes, and you can pick any of these to talk to God about. I think there's enough there to keep us busy talking to Him about for more than two minutes, but we're just going to take two minutes this morning, and, um, uh, and I just want you to look at that list. We're going to leave that on the screen, and just talk to God about your heart today. Let's go to Him in prayer. God, as we come into this time of year, we often think about what we're thankful for. Um, but I'm not think, sure we often consider gratitude as a way to demonstrate our humility. Um, so God, I pray that the story of Nebuchadnezzar, an incredibly powerful man, one like we have never known and experienced with an empire bigger than anything in our lifetimes, um, but a man who turned a deaf ear to God's word to him 
and God humbled him. God, I pray that you would help us to recognize that you are the most high God and you rule this world. And God, your longing is for us to be men and women and students and kids who have a relationship with the God of the heavens through his son, Jesus. And your longing and desire is to um, fill our lives and bless our lives with good things as any father would. God, you challenge us to recognize that it all comes from you. It's all from your hands. It's not because of anything we've done. So God, I pray that we would walk away with this challenge to admit that you're in charge of every part of our lives, God. That we would completely surrender and know that the surrender is not just a once and done, God, we gotta, I've got to do this, we have to do this every single day to say, God, it's all yours. It's all yours. It's all yours. And then we have to celebrate you and praise you. And God, it's the only way to, to put a stake in the heart of pride in each one of our lives. And it's the only way for us to walk in the way of humility. And so God, may that not just be something we listen to this morning, but may it be a belief that we hold deeply to and a belief that changes and alters the way we choose to live our lives this week. Help us to do that, God. We can't do it on our own, in your name.